Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Jack Flaherty will not only be our starting pitcher on Sunday, but Jack will also be our opening day starter um, when we open up in Cincinnati. All right, some breaking news this morning from Mike Schilt down at Cardinal Thursday edition, the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN with BK and Tanner. Uh, to the surprise of no one with that breaking news, Jack Flaherty is your opening day starter. Maybe you go back to the last full season. Jack Flaherty was very close to 200 innings, 196 and a third. And the year before that, he was about at 150. And last season, only 40 and a third. So the question then becomes, how much will he pitch this year in terms of innings, especially early on, and trying to be careful with many of these young stars in the game of baseball? He falls in that. But we'll see. BK, Good morning to you, Jack Flaherty, opening day starter. Good morning to you as well, Dan. No surprise. I don't think anybody should be shocked by this news. I think there were some maybe that were holding out hope or belief that maybe it should be Wayno based on what we saw last season. I got no issues with this. Jack Flaherty needs to be your best pitcher in 2021. For this team to reach whatever the peak is of its performance, whether that be in the regular season and certainly once you get into the playoffs, they need Jack Flaherty to pitch like he did in 2019. That's that is what they need from their number one starter. I love Wayno. I love what he brought to this team a year ago. His peak right now is just not the same as what you can potentially get from the ceiling of Jack Flaherty. You hit it on the head. It's what he can do in postseason play. He, he's going to be fine this year. You may have some ups and downs. You don't know. Every year is different with every guy. Position player, pitcher, doesn't matter. But if you're going to advance in postseason play, he has to match up with another team's number one and be that guy walker bueller trevor bauer whatever the case may be he's got to be that guy that when you throw him out there you say we got a shot we got a chance we can match pitch by pitch with our guy to your guy and he is that guy when he's right and you look around the national league right now dan the mets have Degrom. The Dodgers have Walker Bueller that they're going to throw out there in game number one. The Padres, I would think probably you Darvish are going to be uh, is going to be the guy that if the Nationals get in, they've got Scherzer. Like all of these other teams that you're competing against directly have legit number one ace type of starters. The Cardinals need to be able to throw one of those on their own. So 40 and a third innings. He went uh, four and three last year. ERA was high near five in his nine starts. And Jack Flaherty talking about well, do you have to temper your expectations after having a low workload last year? You know, ideally, we'd just like to go out there and give it treated like a normal year. And we're just going to have to kind of see how things go throughout the season. But, you know, every year, every offseason, you know, we prepare to throw, you know, 200 plus innings and get out there and make every single start and make every single start every five days. And so that's what that's what the prep has been. That's what the prep work has been. That's what the prep work day out in has been for. Um, it's not going to be to, to miss starts or have shortened starts. So that's all that's all we're looking for. So we'll kind of I guess that's going to be gauged as the year goes on. But 
In terms of everything else, you know, the prep has been you know, to approach it like a normal season. He has made seven starts, by the way, in his career against the Cincinnati Reds, 32 and two-thirds innings, two and two, ERA very good, under two and a half. And so April 1st, hopefully at least 30% capacity at the Great American Ballpark. Ladies and gentlemen, your opening day starter, Jack Flaherty. I'm starting to get some goosebumps now, Dan. I can feel it. We are, what is it, three days away from the first spring training game that you're going to be calling on Fox Sports Midwest. It's here. Can't wait for that. And now that we are starting to see some of these plans come together, I think we have a pretty good idea of what the rotation is going to be now. You're going to have Jack Flaherty as your opening day starter. I feel like somewhere two through four, you're going to have Wayno, Michaelis, KK. Not sure the order exactly, but I think that's going to be the, the next three. And I feel pretty confident now that barring something unforeseen, Carlos Martinez will be your fifth starter. I agree. And we kind of know how a lot of the bullpen's going to stack up as well. There's still a job probably or two up for grabs at the back end of the pin. But you mentioned this the other day. I don't feel like the Cardinals are a team that has a ton of camp battles. There's there's jobs that can be kind of swayed one way or the other. Sure, leverage innings that are maybe up for grabs. But the Cardinals don't seem like a team that has a ton up for grabs in spring training this year. I've got in the bullpen, see if you agree with this, Miller, Cabrera, Webb. So you got three lefties in your bullpen. I'm going to have Cabrera not in my rotation, which would be a guy that you would say maybe battling for that fifth spot on the right side. John Gant, also a battle there, potentially as a starter. Jordan Hicks, Alex Reyes, which now I, after hearing some of the comments, I think he's out of the equation I for it. Too. But I think you could see a multi-innings uh, type appearances for him. And then Gallegos, Helsley, Ponce de Leon, and that would round out your bullpen if you decide that it's only going to be a four-man four bench and you've got a 26-man roster and your bench would be your backup catcher, Kisner. I'm going to put O'Neill in left, so Thomas on the bench, Sosa on the bench, and Matt Carpenter your lone left-handed bat. So when you start looking at it that way, not a lot of battles because then Fernandez goes down, Elledge goes down, Oviedo's in your rotation at AAA, Rondon, Woodford, Woodford Whitley. I, I hate say, seeing Whitley go down. I, Whitley is good. He'll be up. He'll oh, be no up. doubt. He might not be on the opening day roster, but we'll see him this year. But it's a matter of business and options and those kind of things. Jack Flaherty also talked about this the other day how appreciative he was of how the Cardinals handled him in essence with kid gloves a season ago. Oh, it was a smart move. I mean, it, it was, it was the smart move. It was a smart thing to do. And from a, from a long-term perspective, I mean, you know, I pitched game one and then didn't throw in a, in a game again for, you know, for a month. And it, you know, wasn't due to injury, wasn't due to COVID, but it may as well have been. I mean, it was, we, we were basically shut down on and off for, you know, 15 days or so, I think is what the numbers were. So it, it was, it would have been tough to try to come back and, you know, they handled everybody kind of differently. You know, they let Wayno go out there and they let him go out there and, and do his thing, which which was a smart thing to do. But for me, you know, I, I appreciate it actually um, being handled that way, just from a long-term aspect, looking at long-term health of everything. And When you look at how they handled him and he mentioned it, so he starts game one against the Pirates. Cardinals then have the little homestand. They go to the road trip through Minnesota. That's when they got initially hit with COVID, and they had the 17-day layoff. And remember when they brought him back, he did not start coming back. That was Adam Wainwright. It was others. They were just scrambling for pitching, but they were really careful with him, boy. And you can understand why. He's a franchise-type pitcher, Wainwright, at the top of their rotation. So 
They handled him very carefully to the point that really I don't think he was built up until we saw them maybe the final week or in uh, postseason play against the Padres. He had a, a long start against Pittsburgh towards the tail end of the season at PNC. But, man, they were careful with him, and I you know, I applaud him. I mean, it, it was smart to do that in the now, and it was smart for the future of Jack Flaherty to make sure that they were very careful with the innings piling up for him. The other thing about Jack's season, Dan, I know you mentioned the ERA from a year ago. It's really one game. Like when you look back at what he did last year and the, yeah, that big the blow quote unquote up. struggles that we talk about so much, it was that one game at Milwaukee. And we've talked so much about how so many different hitters love hitting in Milwaukee. I wonder why. Well, what are you laughing at? <laughs> he had three innings in that game, nine earned runs allowed. That was the one that got him. Otherwise, you look back and I'll go through yeah, these starts because there ain't a whole lot of them. <laughs> Seven innings, two earned runs. Five innings, zero. Five innings, one. Two and two thirds. That was when he was just coming back. Three earned runs, five and two earned runs allowed. And then down the stretch, six innings, one earned run, five innings, three earned runs. Those are fine starts. You'll take that out of Jack Flaherty. Would you like some more upside in terms of the innings? It looked, or it looked like he was getting ready to do that before they got shut down. So I'm not worried about Jack going into this season. I think he's in for a really, really big year, Dan. I loved watching Bruce Bochy handle a bullpen. He, he, to me, is like the master of changes. He's so good. You guys had him on uh, the other day, a couple of days ago, the now retired Bruce Bochy, and he talked about, you know, how teams are going to handle pitching this year. Well, I think you have to look at uh, each pitcher uh, individually. Uh, um, you know, certain guys, I, I, I don't think you uh, need to hold them back. Uh, I think some of these guys uh, will be fine. Uh, I, you might get uh, some clubs that are, you know have younger arms or or pitchers that have had to deal with injuries, and you're going to have to you know really watch them uh, closely and just monitor their workload. And, and that's why it's going to be so important to have depth. But when you're playing 100, 162 games, somebody's got to heat up innings. Now, if you if you're going to be careful with the starters, then your your pen they they're not going to be able to handle that load either. So. Uh, you better have depth on both sides. Yeah, both sides. Cardinals have that, especially with all the pitchers that we just named. Talk to Mike Schilt the other day, and I asked him about a five-man rotation or a piggyback, and he said something that struck me, BK. He said, you know, yeah, the innings are down, the games are down, and you can look at that on paper. He said, but a lot of guys continue to throw through the shutdown to continue to build up their arms. He said, I'm not sure if it's going to be as big a factor as maybe it's being talked about. We'll see. Time will tell. Last year, Wayno 65 and two thirds. That led the staff. He was terrific in eating up those innings that they needed. KK had 39 innings. Michaelis missed all of last season. So that's something to keep in mind. And then uh, Carlos Martinez, only 20 innings pitched last year. So that's going to be something to watch out for. If I've, you know, like Wayno told me, he said, look, back in the series NLCS against Washington, when we were kind of on fumes with some of our pitching, I went to Mike Maddox and said, just throw me. If I got to go out there and and, and, that, and that's it and I, I'm done, I injure myself. He's like, I walk out with my head, head held up high because I made a lot of money. I've, I've done everything I, I can in the game. And you got to take care of some of the younger guys. It's still a business. You're trying to win. Don't get me wrong. But you're still trying to make sure you think about the future of individuals. And as a byproduct of that, it becomes a future for your club, too. You don't just throw Jack Flaherty nine innings day one and blow him out. So it sounded like, to, at least from my perspective, Bruce Bochy basically puts pitchers 
in two separate categories right now going into this upcoming season. He talked about the young or the injured pitchers on one side, and then he talked about the guys basically that you have no questions about on the other, right? I think there are a few pitchers in particular that fit into those for me, Dan, with like no questions asked either way. Young or injured, Michaelis, Hicks, Reyes. Those three guys, I think, and we've kind of heard them talk about this, honestly, publicly. Those are the three guys that you got to be a little careful with, at least to start things out this year. Do you agree with those three? I do. Would you add anybody else immediately to that side? I'm looking at it. Uh, I, I put I, a question I, mark I, next Reyes. to Flaherty. I, I think Reyes. So, For sure. so with him, he was not in your three, was he? He was. Okay, yeah. Michaelis so Hicks and Reyes would be Michaelis the three. Hicks. Right. Yeah. Those three. For sure. I have a question mark next to Flaherty, but I just I don't get the sense that especially early on, they're going to be too worried about that. But if they have a, a need to do so, maybe then you start talking about it. I liked what uh, matter of fact, I love what Bruce Bochy just said. Sometimes it's watching guys, too. And I have an under- understanding of your staff and the people that are with you to say, why are we taking a guy out after five innings? You know, we're in July. Blake Snell, any- why are you in the World yeah, Series and you're getting you taken know what out when you look great? Yeah. You know, so the eye test is still part of it in my mind. I understand there are analytics that'll tell you when guys are wearing out, and and they'll have that. But sometimes it's the eye test that tells you, let him go. It's just one of those days. He feels good. Let him go. And I think that's part of it, too. On the other side, guys that I have no question, you're going to be throwing. Whether it be contract-related, it's the last year of your deal, or if you're getting up there in age, KK, Carlos, Wayno. Those three guys, no restrictions. Let's see what you got. John Gant, throw him into the mix as well. Daniel Ponce de Leon. What you, really interesting. So he would be one where, because he's so young still, I wouldn't, I, this is going to sound bad saying, I wouldn't be quite as reckless throwing him as I would feel comfortable. Like, Wayno, every fifth day you're going out there and you're going to give me what you can. And he has said this to you. I believe it was an interview with you. If my arm falls off, yeah. I've done everything that I need to do here. KK, it's the last year of his deal. He's like 32 years old. You're going to get what you can out of him. Carlos, last year of your guaranteed yep. deal here in St. Louis, I'll get everything I can. I, but do you do that with Pons? Well, here's, and I'm, I'm not saying being reckless. I'm saying that he's going to be stretched out. So you feel more comfortable, I think, giving him multi-inning appearances or if it, there's a spot start that needs to happen. I think you're comfortable with it as opposed to Reyes. I, I don't, I'm not as comfortable with that. I, I am comfortable with Pons or maybe John Gant giving you that start. Uh, yeah, I, I would look at those guys as saying, now that I'm trying to be reckless, I've got your career in mind too, but you're stretched out and we feel comfortable enough doing this to where you're not going to hurt yourself. I think the Cardinals out of all teams, because another thing that Bruce Bochy said there that is going to be important this year is the depth. Yes. And when we look at these projection systems, that's the one thing that they cannot capture or one of the many things that they cannot capture going into a strange 2021 season is how significant it's going to be that the Cardinals don't have five, six, seven options. They have 10, 15, 20 options on their pitching staff. Yep. Not just in their rotation, but guys that can give them innings over the course of the season. 40 man roster by my count. 21 guys have major league experience pitching. That's a lot. That is a lot. We're going to talk about Matthew Libertor when we come back. Got it. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Of interest for the St. Louis Cardinals would be one Matthew Libertor. And Mike Schild talked about him this morning. We've alluded to the fact he had a really good um, 
alternate site camp last year. We enjoyed uh, getting to know him and then getting to observe him last year in spring training and then in the summer camp. Um, so, you know, he's an exciting guy. He's got good stuff. He's going about it the right way. He's hungry to learn. He loves to compete. He's got the weapons to go along with it. He's got a nice balance of, of being prepared and, and taking advantage of other people's experience and still relying and trusting his own. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited to see him continue to move forward and, and watching him pitch. You know, we talk so much about him being and Ken, yet here's a young man that has not been above a ball, but yet we may see him at some point this year because of injury or need, necessity, his dominance at the minor leagues, whatever may happen, but he's never been above a ball. He had 15 starts in 2019 was six and two, 78 and a third. So they're going to keep an eye on his innings as well. He went to the alternate site and Matthew was uh, part of the Zooms the other day and he talked about that alternate camp and what it did for his development too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to go up to uh, Bush when Yachty and Paul DeYoung were coming back from uh, being on the aisle for COVID and I got to face them for, you know, five, six at-bats that day. And then with all the guys coming back and forth between big league camp and uh, the taxi squad and all that kind of stuff, I got to face a lot of guys that I probably wouldn't have gotten to face throughout a regular season. And because of that, I also got a lot of feedback that I wouldn't have gotten facing, you know, guys on another team, you don't get to go talk to them after the ABs and in the alternate site, you know, I could face a guy and he gets a hit off me and I get, I go straight up to him and say, Hey, what'd you see? Why'd you swing at that? You know, what happened? Um, and I feel like that was extremely beneficial and something that certainly wouldn't have happened given different circumstances. Matthew told me about a month ago, BK, how cool is this? Is that you, you want immediate feedback? This is what they would do. They would put the analytics list up on the video board at the ballpark. So when he was facing some of these really good lefties like a Nolan Gorman or some of the others that were down at the alternate site, and let's face it, those are quite the the jump from some of the players he's facing and some were in the major leagues, as he mentioned, but he's facing top hitters. And that's something that we need to keep in mind at the alternate site. Like Nolan Gorman's facing the guys under the cusp of being big leaguers. That's not a ball. That's very close to being big leaguers, but he could turn around and look on the video board and see spin rate, location, things of that nature. So if he got hit or something was happening that was not to his liking, immediately look back. He said that was so beneficial for him at that alternate site. How do you think the teams will view somebody like Matthew Libertor? Like it's not just specifically about him, but let's use him as the example here. He hasn't been above a ball. Normally last season, he probably would have spent his year at double A. Does he now just progress as normal and so he starts this season at AAA or does he go back down to AA where he should have been last year? How how does that, I guess my question is, how does that summer camp compare to what you would have typically had in a normal AA season? I think some guys, they're going to make that jump. And I think with others, it's a short leash in a positive way, maybe a AA. Like get your feet wet, get a couple of starts. It's also dependent on what you have at your AAA roster. You know, for instance, the Cardinals have Woodford probably and Oviedo in your rotation and others. Now, one of the things that they may do that would progress their their move them forward is that there could be six man rotations. That's something to think about in the minor leagues. We talk about protecting these young arms or piggybacks which is another thing that may happen, which is to then the benefit of that player progressing in the minor league. So while you in a normal season, you may start him at, let's say, double A and just let him get a few starts under his belt and then move him up one way or another. You just want to let him get in. A lot of times it's a numbers game, too. There's been guys that you say that that's not a that's not a double A or an A ball pitcher. He should be up further. But it, with pitching, especially, it's about 
just get your innings in. You know what I mean? It, it's about making sure you're still on a, a rotation that is every fifth day for you. So a little bit of the numbers game is that progresses with these guys as well. Who do you think? Who I, So I've got four Woodford, Oviedo, Liberator and Thompson. Do you think that'll be four of your five to start the year at AAA? Yeah, I had those guys in there, too. Is there um, anybody else that immediately comes to mind as being like, that's the fifth guy that's kind of knocking on the door, not too far away, would have spent last year at AA that could be in that rotation down there? The one guy that would bring interest to me is that if you really want to, and this is because of a byproduct of what we dealt with last season, if you want to stretch him out and make sure he's a starter and he's essentially your 27th man on the roster, would be Ponce de Leon. Now, I don't, he ha- I don't think he has any is more he out options, options Okay, yeah. But a guy like that is sure. what I'm saying. Is what that- about Hennessy Cabrera? I think he's too good. I don't think, I think you so want to too. waste that down. It, it, I don't like saying it's wasted, but he can help you here. And a he's lot got of value it, to your big league yeah, club now. Yeah, and and he can get righties out. It's not like he's a one-trick pony and you're bringing him in to face the lefties. Um, to me, that's the guy that you, you he's got to be here. Um, so those type of guys, I think a lot of teams are going to be facing that question. Do we have the pitcher that is a swing pitcher are we better off as a club? Not might not be better off for him because he wants to be in the big leagues. But are we better off keeping him on a five man rotation every fifth day and stretched out to give you six or seven innings because we may have injuries or we got to skip a start? Those kind of things happen all the time. Well, and the other thing is this going to be dependent upon are you a team that's contending this year? Yeah. Or where are you at in your life cycle as an organization? Because the Cardinals, like. It's all about the big league club. Let's let's win now. This team is ready to win in twenty twenty one. If you're you know? Seattle, I mean, there's some guys you may know. That doesn't <laughs> I've heard happen, something BK. about that in the news recently. What, what but we ta- they don't manipulate service time. Like I don't happen. know what the Pirates' AAA pitching staff right. looks like, but I would imagine if there's a guy that they're kind of having, they're, they're going one way or the other on. Man, he could really provide some some value to us in the big leagues as as a reliever, or we could keep him down in AAA, extend him out, get his innings in this year, and the next year he could start for us. I have a feeling the Pirates would probably lean towards the latter, whereas for the Cardinals, with a guy like Genesis Cabrera, who could be kind of the poster child for this, he's definitely going to be more leaning towards the reliever and the big league side of things. I don't see the benefit, unless he is going to be a starter, there's no benefit to bring him or put him down in the minor leagues. He can just help you so in so many different ways. I mean, he could be a closer. He could be a long-inning guy in the middle of games. If you needed to, right off the bat, if you had injuries, let's say, in, in camp, and you said, well, okay, this guy's out, that guy's out, what do we have? Well, we could, we could stretch out Hennessy Cabrera, let's do it. They could do that. That's His value, man, to this team is is pretty high. So we did, on um, BK and Ferrario, we're doing our countdown of the Cardinals for this upcoming year. So not best, but most important Cardinals for the success of the team. And we were at number 18 yesterday, and it was Hennessy Cabrera. I talked about it with BT as well, and he said if there's any guy on our our list that could finish the year significantly higher on that list than where they started, he thinks it's Cabrera because it wouldn't be a shock to him if he ends up being the closer, if he ends up being in that Andrew Miller fireman role where you've got a lefty that can give you multiple innings. Like His value now, it, it could be significantly greater at the end of the season compared to what we think of it today. Three batter minimum, too. That's mm-hmm. still around, so you you got to have guys, and Andrew Miller's one of them when right that can get lefties and righties out. Now, one of the things Libertor did talk about was, and Randy asked him on the Zoom yesterday, did he watch Randy Arozarena in the postseason last year, and what do you think about being traded for him? 
I watched a lot of the postseason, and I did watch Rosarena. You know, obviously coming from the race too, I wanted to see how they performed uh, in the postseason again. Um, I don't really feel like I ever it ever crossed my mind like, oh, that's the guy I got traded for. I have expectations now that I have to live up to. Um, at the end of the day, like my competition is myself. So you know, I wish him all the best. I want to see him go out there and have success. And when it comes to what I need to take care of, I'm looking in the mirror every day and competing against that guy. So. Um, I don't feel like there's any added pressure on me or added expectations because of the way that he performed. And at the end of the day, I'm happy that he did what he did in the postseason. So um, there's no grudges there or anything like that. Very well spoken. And I do wonder, though, if somebody has pulled him aside and said, hey, we know you're hearing about this. It's being talked about a lot. If you're feeling extra pressure, don't. We, we love you. That's why we traded for you. And this guy turned into Babe Ruth during the postseason. It, it, those things happen sometimes, not to Babe Ruth's point, but, you know, you get traded for somebody and they have they go off and, and they do great things. But you be you. And I, I thought he, his response to that question was like a grown-up. I mean, that was a well well thought-out response. Who do you think feels more pressure from this right now? Like, it, that was the perfect response for yes. Matthew Liberator, no doubt about it. Do you think it's Liberator or the young outfielders right now who just watched Randy Arozarena, like you said, look like Babe Ruth in the postseason, and now you're the guy that the Cardinals kept above Randy Arozarena, and they've certainly been asked about that as well. Which side of that do you think feels more pressure because of what Randy Arozarena did in the postseason? I would say the outfielders, and the outfielders, whether or not Arozarena was traded, feel pressure this year to produce. I mean, it's their time now, sure. and I would throw Dexter Fowler in that that deal. Like, they, hey, they cleared space for us, so it's time to put up, and I, I think that's the way Mike Schilt is going to do this too. There's going to be a leash, but it's not going to be as long as it was before. Liberator is a young guy. There's going to be some growing pains along the way. He's always going to be mentioned in that deal. Yes, you'll be associated with that trade, but in the in the now, in my mind, BK, I don't know if you agree, it's the outfielders. They, they, somebody's got to step up and produce. I do. Um, I I know that we are going to hear so much about how Matthew Liberter is the guy that they got for Randy Arozarena and all that. It's the outfield, man. Yeah. It, it's from, from day one, the focus on this team, the thing that's going to be the most pivotal to their success over the course of the 2021 season, it's the outfield. And that's what we've all been talking about. And sometimes we dive so far into the minutia that we lose sight of it. But Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, um, Lane Thomas is another guy that we probably don't talk about enough. And then, of course, Dylan Carlson. Those are the guys that will determine what the ceiling is for this offense and probably more likely than not how we view this team going into the postseason. Think about it. If you're one of the young outfielders and you're saying, wow, they got rid of a Rose Arena. They got rid of a couple other guys. They just traded Dexter Fowler. Yeah, the pressure is on me to, to step up. I mean, it, it's more than Randy Rosarena. It's they cleared out space to make sure that we have a chance to play. So to me, it's those guys at this point. We're going to talk about, and I, I'm going to find this fascinating. Matt Whiteside will be our guest. He runs the Gamers program here in St. Louis. Highly successful with amateur baseball. But are guys talking about launch angle? Do you see shifts? Those kind of things. And also, he's a former Major League pitcher. So we'll get into that when we come back on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. (laughs) 
Pat Whiteside of the Gamers Program here in St. Louis, working with young kids, getting them scholarships. Many of those players have gone on to play in Major League Baseball. Some of the top players that you hear about is our guest. And, Matt, uh, great to visit with you. How are things going? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, things are going great. Um, you know, we're, we're all pretty busy at the facility, all-star performance with our indoor training and uh, high school kids are about ready to get off to their tryouts March 1st, next Monday. So things are going well. I, you know, I wanted to get you on because we have a lot of parents that, that listen to the program and they have kids that are involved uh, with baseball. And I, a couple of things. Launch angle in the game right now, is it being taught at that level? And shifts, when you're managing your games and coaching your games, are you seeing a lot of shifts? Well, as far as the the launch angle thing, you know, I, th- I think now that that term has gone away a little bit. I think it was probably overtaught, uh, you know, at all levels of the game there for a little bit. And now they talk about uh, bat angle, barrel speed, things like that. And, and if you think about it, I mean, even, you know, as long as the game's been played, every swing comes in at an angle. It could be a negative angle and produce a, you know, a ground ball. Uh, and if you get too much of a positive angle, it's going to hit a pop-up. So, um, I think it, you know the barrel angle, the, the uh, direction that the bat is going when the when it makes contact with the ball, and hopefully you're creating line drives that carry into the gap. So I, it's coming back a little more toward that, I believe. Uh, as far as shifts go, uh, I mean I coach a a, a group of ten and eleven year olds, and I group, coach a group of seventeen year olds. So I see a little bit of all ends of the spectrum right now. Uh, at ten and eleven, you know if a, if a, if you're facing a if we're throwing a left-handed pitcher, for example, with really good velocity and you got a right-handed hitter and you know he's going to be probably late on the fastball, we might move our middle infielders over a couple steps to the left. Um, you know, at the high school level, if we know that we're going to throw a change-up to a, a kid that looks like a right-handed pull hitter or a curveball, uh, we might, you know, sh- alert the third baseman that something off-speed's coming and have the shortstop shift and the second baseman go more up the middle. So there, there is some of it that goes on for sure. Wow. Um, you know, I, that's not every team, but, but we try to uh, give our guys as much of an advantage as possible when it comes to that. Matt, I'm curious how much, I mean, in your time as a coach at the youth level, how much has the hitting coaching changed? I mean, from the verbiage that you used whenever you first got into this to the types of things that you're instructing today, whether it be the technology or, like I said, just the verbiage, how much has that changed in that span? We lose Matt Whiteside. Looks like we lost, and we'll get him back on the line here. I'm I'm really curious to I'm see. I'm you know, with it. When you look at the way that I was coached, and I, I, I didn't play – baseball at a high level but football for instance whenever I played like even the coaching for that and the things that are available the resources that kids have today it's different than what I had and I was in high school 10 years ago yeah I, I it's to hear, to hear him saying that 10 and 11 year olds are shifting is fascinating to me um, we hear about launch angle we and he teaches pitching I mean he's a former major league pitcher so I'm going to get interested into what he has to say about that too but go ahead he, he, I think he's back with us yeah Matt I'm curious in, in your guys' system that you're you uh, that you're involved with with the gamers how much has whether it be the verbiage or the technology that you guys are using how much has that changed from the time when you first got into this to where you are at today I mean, it's like learning a completely new language, BK, to be honest with you. Uh, and it, it, at first, it was, it, you know, it was to be completely transparent, it was a little overwhelming. We started off uh, with our program 13 or 14 years ago and just coming out of pro ball, 
you know, you'd talk about with, with pitchers, you'd talk about late life or the ball had sink on it or run or had some depth on the curveball. Um, you know, now with four or five years ago, we started using a, a device uh, called Rapsodo, which is pretty prevalent and common now in all levels of the game. And, you know, to, to uh, understand the, the data, you had to understand the terminology like you're alluding to. And so now you're talking about, instead of sink, you're talking about vertical and horizontal break, or you're talking about uh, the amount of gyro spin on a slider compared to a curveball or a true, fa- uh, true fastball. So, you know, a lot of people that don't understand the terminology or anything for that matter, they'll tend to bash something, right? Anything that you're not comfortable with or you don't understand, you have a tendency to have derogatory comments about. And I think as an instructor in a program, if you start to dive in and understand the data a little bit, it actually will help you validate what you teach and what you've done as a professional player. If you can figure out a way to one, understand the terminology and what the data means. And two, to, you know, find a way to, to relay the information to young ball players where it's understandable uh, and they don't get, you know, p- paralyzed by trying to understand, you know, vertical break versus just getting some sink or rise on the ball. So it's, it's changed completely. Are you is fu- a long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I, and we even have, you know, guys at the major league level that it's, it's so much information. It's hard to break it all down. Are, are you finding that kids are, are understanding this or have a better understanding as we go along with this? Yeah, uh, for sure. They're definitely understanding it. I mean, we have a couple of the rap soda devices in the pitching uh, area and when they're throwing their, you know, bullpens, we have them on. And I think for me, what's been most advantageous is to be able to find one thing or two things in a session that you're working on and, and focus on that part of the data as opposed to trying to, you know, talk about all the different items that you have at your disposal on a Rhapsodo, for example. But kids definitely understand. I mean, you know, you, you listen to different uh, – well, you listen to your broadcast or you listen to this show or you watch – you know, the MLB network and they're talking about spin rate and backspin and bat angle and uh, hard hit velocity. And, you know, they're all the terminology is out there and kids are so into their devices and social media and, and, you know, things like that, that they, they are very understanding uh, of the, of the data and the terminology. Matt, I mean, you mentioned the term Rapsodo and I think a, a lot of our audience knows what that is and understands that there are pitchers that are using that to, to help themselves. But, for, for some that may not know, what is the kind of data that you're able to collect from that? What are the teaching points that you can have as a pitching coach from that? Explain for some of our listeners that may not be aware of it, what the Rapsodo is and why it is so significant and how it helps you guys. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh it's actually a local company. Rapsodo is in St. Louis. Uh, the device sits 15 and a half feet in front of the plate on the ground and then the ball is picked up out of the pitcher's hand. And, um, you know, there's things like spin axis. So if you're, you know, back when I was playing and they were talking about curveballs, a true curveball would be 12 to 6 like it would on a clock. And so you can think about that as the spin axis. If it's, uh, you know, a slider, it's probably like 2 to 7 on the clock and on the spin axis. So the direction that the ball is spinning is one thing when you're trying to teach a curveball or a slider or a cutter, you know, you look at those kind of things, um, it gives you spin rate. So spin rate, like RPMs, is how much backspin a fastball has, for example. So a four-seam fastball, the spin rate, you know, at the big league level averages around 23 or 2,400 RPMs. 
Um, and then a curveball would be similar, only it's got top spin. So you get that data. Um, spin efficiency so is another one. So uh, forcing backspin on a true fastball would be anything 90% and up would be a, a good true forcing fastball. And that ball is going to tend to stay in the air longer. So a guy with high uh, high spin rate can pitch up in the zone. To the hitter's eye, it looks like it's it's rising. Um, something that has uh, uh, low spin efficiency on a fastball means that it has some gyro spin or like a bullet and has some side spin. So it's going to cut a little more. Um, so anyway, those, those are some of the things that uh, that you have at your disposal. And then when you're when you're working with the kid and he says, "Hey, I want to learn how to," I throw a good curveball, and you look at the spin rate data, and it's actually a slider or a slurve, then you can help them either understand that they need to improve their slider or maybe change the grip and throw a true curveball. Um, so that's why I meant earlier. It can actually help you validate what you teach and how you teach it if you can understand at least the basics of the data. You make a living out of baseball. I do too. And so I, I get concerned about the future of the sport and young kids playing and being interested in it. They love other sports and, and that's great. Are, are you seeing that more kids are playing baseball, going away from baseball? What's your general feeling about that? Well, I think that there's things that are slowing the game down, you know, and that, that are uh, probably making some of it less interesting. But then you have, you know, on the hitting side, you have something like blast motion or, or hit tracks, right? And kids love competition and they love games. And so hit tracks is something as an instructional tool, but it also makes, you know, baseball fun inside because you can, you can see go to Bush Stadium, for example, on the, on the hit tracks and, and play a game, you know, versus your teammates, Uh so I, I think that there's a lot of things that are drawing kids to the game. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, Major League Baseball will get on with social media and other things that other, you know, major sports do to attract the youth and let the fun of the game then still be experienced by all the kids in the, you know, that, that start off liking the game. What are some changes that you're seeing down in the little leagues that you think will trickle up, Matt? Because we, we see this in seemingly every sport. It starts at the lower levels and then it trickles its way up. What are some of those things that you're seeing right now in the, uh, the, the lower levels, the youth levels of, of baseball right now? Yeah, well, I think it's more of a trickle down effect it's from things that I see, you know, pitch counts became pretty prevalent uh, and, and trying to keep young arms healthy is the thing that I hope uh, is either a trickle down or a trickle up. You know, the, um, the win at all cost organizations that are going to run a kid out on a Friday night and throw them a hundred pitches, turn around on a semifinal or final game on Sunday and go to the same pitch count. Those are the things that need to need to, you know, change. Uh, and at, especially at the youth level, I think, at the collegiate level, obviously in minor league baseball and major league baseball, they have, you know, a pretty good feel for that and they have plans for it, but it's the, the health of the kids and, you know, and the use or abuse uh, of them on the mound is something that I, you know, you know, close to me. And, and uh, I just hope that that can have some change in it, you know, for the better. We get all the time people say, well, what's the best age to start throwing a curveball? And we have people texting in wanting me to ask Matt Whiteside, what's the best age to tell my son to start throwing a curveball? What's your advice on that? Well, I'm going to go to the facility this afternoon, and my, my training partner, my uh, other instructor is going to go, you're still hanging on to that. Uh, because I, I tend to think that, you know, you, you teach a little bit later um, where, you know, there's, there's studies out there that say you can start throwing it when you're 11 or 12 if you throw it correctly. 
Well, the problem is to me is that are they going to throw it correctly? You know, are they going to get their elbow up like they do on their fastball? Are they going to get extension on it and and you know still throw it safely? Um, there's so there, I think there's really two sides to that. Some are saying you know learn to throw it early and you'll you'll learn to throw it better longer. And then there's others that are let's let the growth plates you know uh, form and and throw it safe like when they're you know able to shave is a is an old uh, adage of when is it safe to learn how to throw a curveball. So there's really two differing sides of that. I still tend to you know teach it when they're around 14. Um, and, but the one that I really want to teach early is the feel for a changeup because it's, it's a tremendously difficult pitch to hit. If you can, you know, for a new phrase, tunnel it and make it look like your fastball as close to the plate as possible. And then all of a sudden it doesn't have the same velocity and has more depth to it. Then it can be a swing and miss pitch. And I mean, you talk to hitters at all levels of the game, the changeup is something that they just hate to have to face and try to hit and detect. So um, I tend to teach that one early first and then, you know, teach the curveball a little bit later on um, when their hand size is bigger and, and they, you know, developed a little bit more physically. My final question, you're a former major league pitcher. These guys had a truncated season last year in terms of innings and that kind of thing. I, I'm talking a lot about piggybacks. I'm talking a lot about six man rotations. And unfortunately, I'm hoping that we don't see a lot of injuries with pitching. What, what do you think is going to happen in 2021? Well, I, I'm like you. I, I, I really, obviously, we all hope there are, are not very many injuries due to that. But, you know, I, I think these guys stay in such great shape, and they are such competitors that if, you know, the bullpen guys are treated well, where they don't, you know, warm up two days in a row and not go in, and then they're asked to pitch the third day, or, you know, they're monitored on the back number of back-to-back days that they pitch throughout the course of the season – I tend to think that they'll be okay, but you know, I, I'm just, that's just my thought. I think that they've stayed in great shape. I think they've, um, you know, taken care of their bodies and their arms, Th- things like that now are so prevalent that they're, they're in pretty good shape right now in spring training. They're ready to throw bullpens and start facing hitters. So I tend to believe, and I'm, maybe I'm just being optimistic that they'll, they'll be able to go through the, the season, you know, uh, as a normal season and and stay healthy. Yeah. We're all hoping for that. Hey, Matt, thanks for your time. Great insight. Really appreciate it. And folks can find you at all-star performance for their son or daughter. So want to make sure they get over to Kirkwood and check you guys out. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Appreciate it, Dan. You got it. You got it. That's Matt Whiteside. Um, He hit on something that I saw and it was having done major league baseball, BK. I would, I was doing for ESPN, a lot of college uh, baseball and you would see game one starter go and a lot of times these guys are being used to 130, 140 pitches. I mean, 140 in, a, yeah. in an outing. And these are prime guys that you're watching. Um, you're talking SEC baseball. You're talking really good baseball. Or you get to a super regional. Now, the game has changed in the college front because the money has gotten better in baseball. I mean, programs are making money now. It's not just like, okay, it's a throw-in sport and it's basketball and football making their money. There are schools that are making money off of baseball. Not a lot, but there's some. And you would see top pitchers throwing that much. And that that's not good. At least in my opinion, I didn't think that was good. No, it's terrible. And it was something that the, I, you see this in college football as well, right? If you just want to go cross sport reference, like there's some college football running backs that get 40 carries in a game. And that's not good for anybody. You're basically getting a car wreck on every play. 
and we know that running backs in the NFL don't hold up. It's the same thing in college. It's just by the time they get to the NFL, they've had all of these miles already on their body. And so you start breaking down earlier and earlier. The same thing exists in baseball. You only have so many bullets in your arm. We've seen this now. We know this. There have been books that have been written about it. And so if you're throwing, like you said, 200 pitches in a weekend for your team because you want to be able to win and you're a competitor, which these guys are, well, yeah, it's going to come back to bite you eventually. And when you get to the big leagues and you have Tommy John at the age of 24, it's it's brutal. And we're seeing it more and more often, unfortunately. Nolan Gorman told me that uh, playing with Matthew Libertor and they played on one of the top teams in Arizona. And obviously you're playing year round because you have the weather to do so and you can get to the West Coast. I asked him, I said, how many guys shift against you when because he, I mean, he's a prime power hitter as a little guy. He said, oh, yeah, I've been seeing shifts since a little league. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. He said, now, I have been throwing down some bunts to keep him honest. I said, well, I like to hear that. At least yeah. you're combating it. I, I think that there's going to be a time because of guys like Nolan Gorman. I don't know if you agree with this, but, you know, Matt Carpenter is a great example. Matt Carpenter, it was at the advent of seeing now a ton of shifts. When he first started in 2011, you'd see a shift here and there. You weren't seeing a ton. But now every time he comes up, he's seeing the shift. Well, one way to combat that, Anthony Rizzo has done it. Matt Adams did it a little bit. You drop down a bunt. You keep people honest. Now they have to keep, you know, they at least have to position themselves to be prepared for that. I wonder if more guys now, because they've seen it in lower levels, Little League and high school and college, because it's prevalent now, will learn to hit against the shift, and the pendulum at the major league level will shift back towards, lack of a better word, but will shift back towards normal defense being played against those types of guys. Well, it's really interesting because now there's being studies that are done, Dan, where they suggest that the shift actually doesn't change all that much in terms of the batting average against you would think that people are doing it because it's a smart thing to do. Numbers show, yeah. Absolutely. So we just assume in our minds, oh, there's clearly data that backs this up. This is the smart thing to do here. Not always. No. It's not always the smart thing to do. And we're starting to learn more and more, and I would imagine some of this is batters are adjusting. And so as we move forward here, I'm going to be fascinated to learn more about is this actually smart? Do we need to outlaw the shift? Because that's the new in vogue thing is, hey, if you outlaw the shift, you'll get more uh, hits in play. This is getting the action back into the game. All of these different things, right? It might not actually be necessary. There might come a time three, four, five, maybe 10 years down the road. People aren't shifting anymore because yep. it actually ended up being the less smart thing to do. And guys hit the other way. They learn to hit against the shift. We've got uh, Alex Ferrario coming up, three hours of Radio Gold, so I'm looking forward to that. What do you guys have coming up? Well, our pep, our pep top talk did not work yesterday, Dan. <laughs> we, uh, no, it didn't. We tried to get the Blues very excited. Uh, they they didn't look very excited for that game. So we're going to start out with that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Also would love people to get involved on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. How are you feeling about the Blues right now? Like open-ended question. Where are you at with this team? And what is a reasonable level of frustration to have right now? Because it's starting to come out of the woodworks. Talks about, hey, is Craig Berube the guy? Oh, that needs to stop. I'm not going there. That seems crazy to me. What is the the understandable, the fair levels of frustration, though? We'll get into that coming up today, Dan. All right, looking forward to it. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. 
You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.